I'd like you to join me in Hebrews chapter 12, if you would. Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to look at the first couple of verses of this text. I want to thank Amanda for sharing regarding the alternatives ministry. It just, as she was sharing, this Sunday is always important to me personally in regards to the sanctity of human life and all human life. Um, it just, I, I was just standing there as, as uh, we were singing, just remembering that my mom turned 49 today in terms of her walk with Christ. 49 years ago, my mom came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as her Savior. Just a few days after that, her oldest good-looking son, that would be me, you notice by the picture, right? I came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You can do the math to figure out when I was a senior in high school. And um, that was when I first met the lady who's been sitting next to me as well. She was in the youth group of that little Baptist church. God redirected not just my eternal path, but even my career path, and uh, I was planning to go into medicine. I was at Cedarville College at the time and um, came home for a weekend in the spring of my freshman year to find my mom crying at the kitchen sink. And it was because of an issue that had arisen in our family. There were no such thing as pregnancy resource centers, alternatives, life matters. And I watched my parents go through a horrific time with my younger sister, who was 16. And there just weren't a lot of options at that time. Roe v. Wade was just going into effect. And it was a very difficult time. As part of our ministry, I've always made sure that we were very much involved in the pro-life movement, helped to get a couple of chapters of Life Matters started wherever I was pastoring. And so what Amanda was sharing this morning is so significant and so important. And I want to thank you for being there on the front lines. It's, it's just such a significant thing, and we live in Grand Rapids, and there are a lot of opportunities there, and I just uh, was thinking of that as uh, we were sharing and reflecting and hearing the wonderful testimony that we saw on our screen this morning. Life is hard. Life is a challenge. It was for the Hebrew believers, the Hebrew Christians. This is a letter, Hebrews is, that was written by an author that we're not sure of in terms of who this person was, we are very sure of the fact that this should be a very significant part of the canon of Scripture that we hold before us today. But I just want to remind you that the reason why we get to where we do in chapter 12 is because for 11 chapters, the author of the letter to the Hebrew believers, the Hebrew Christians, has been trying to encourage them because these are all former Jews who have trusted in the Messiah through the witness of the early church are understanding the fact that the Messiah is Jesus Christ and this uh, Christ, the, the one Christ means Messiah, the Hamashiach, the one who is indeed the Savior of the world, is one that they've embraced and yet life has not gotten easier for them. 
life has gotten in many ways desperately harder for them. And so for 11 chapters, uh, the writer to the Hebrew Christians has been reminding them about why it's so significant that Jesus Christ has indeed cared for all of their needs through his cross work and through the power of his resurrection. And then starts giving examples to them, and that's what has happened in chapter 11, known by many as Faith's Hall of Fame. And uh, at least two dozen times, the chapter before what we're looking at in these three short verses, this little phrase keeps coming up, this little prepositional phrase, at least two dozen times, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And that's, that's so important for us to remember as we come to chapter 12 and verse 1, because what is shared in these three verses only makes sense and only is applicable if we appreciate all that's happened in this letter to this point. Because the first word of chapter 12 is that application word that so often appears, especially in the New Testament, when you see the word therefore, class, you need to find out what it's there for. Wow, you're well-schooled in that. So in other words, everything that's been shared, chapters 1 through 11, is now coming to the climax, to the ultimate point of here's why, as the Spirit of God has been directing the Hebrew writer, here is why this has been shared. This is boots on the ground for us. This is the application. Only I would say, rather than boots on the ground, what I would like you to imagine in your mind today is that with me, you're strapping on your track shoes, your running shoes. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so easily, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder of and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And for the moments ahead, Father, as we work through this text and try to understand the therefore application for us here in the 21st century, and especially during these days and times, we not only desire, but we need you to open our eyes through spiritual means to understand truth that we can then immediately put into action in our lives. For your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Someone has said, it was a philosopher, says the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step, one single step. One other way to put it scripturally is to trust in the Lord with all of your heart, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight. He'll direct your path. The hilly, curvy, treacherous journey of life that you and I are engaged in will seem as if it's just been kind of by divine hands who powerfully stretch it out. It just snaps into a flat, straight navigable passageway. It's been said that in his heart, Proverbs 16, 9, a man or a woman or a young person kind of charts out their path 
God is the one who directs each and every step of our lives. There was a high school student that I knew well who next week celebrates his 49th spiritual birthday who five months before that, as a beginning senior in high school, began a very sad, misguided pursuit for the letter N. Now, that is not a grade letter. It was a letter like this. This is on the mirror on the dresser where I get ready for the day each day. It was placed there by my dear sweet wife, uh, I think she thought it would be a great uh, encourager to me of my past days and the wonderful accomplishments of my life. I look at this letter and I think, you are an idiot, Ken Floyd. Literally, when I see this is what I think. Here's why. At the beginning of my senior year, actually before classes even began, in the summer of that year, I had uh, been joining other young guys from the school to uh, practice, to get ready for tryouts for basketball. I'd, I had not been able to play my junior year because of an injury, and we had a new basketball coach that had just come in that year. So all of us were really bound and determined we were going to impress him. And so my friend Alan and I, who hung around quite a bit, and we were both very small, very slender, uh, very fast in terms of running, we, uh, we got together, first day of practice, which was the annual five-mile run for those trying out for basketball. Our, our uh, high school was loaded out, located just outside of the city limits. It was in the country. It was mainly flat land, lots of farmland around there, except the road next to our high school went down to a U.S. highway, and there was a rather steep hill as you descended to go down to that highway from where our school was located. And so it was about a two-and-a-half-mile trek from the high school campus down to the U.S. highway, and then you turn around, and then you'd run up the hill back to the high school. Wonderful run. So Alan and I got the great idea. It was probably in the 80s that day, a little bit of humidity. We were looking at the guys who were going to run with us, and some of them were very tall, clunky, obviously out of shape, we decided, you know what, why don't we just run as fast as we can, get the run over with, then we can just be back there waiting on the other guys to either make it or for the EMS to come and pick them up, and we would just enjoy leisure time and just kind of goof off. So we did. We took off as fast as we could, ran down to the U.S. highway, down the hill. We ran back up the hill, passing some of these guys running downhill looking like they're going to die. And we do. We're the first two guys back. The new basketball coach greets us. He says, wow, that was really impressive. He said, there's a guy standing over there that would like to talk with you. Well, I looked over at the guy, and I kind of recognized him, but I'm in college prep classes because I'm going to go to medicine. And I finally, as the guy starts walking towards us, I recognize him. Oh, that's the shop coach. Those of you who were back in the day taking classes, you realize we called the guy who taught industrial arts how to do uh, woodworking, uh, work with wood, work with metals, or whatever. Those who were going to go into a trade went to his class, and it was Mr. Layfield was his name. But he was also Coach Layfield, and as he walked up, he looked at me and my friend Alan, and he said, how would you two young men like to earn a letter while you're training for basketball? And before we knew what we were doing, both said, yeah, 
And he said, show up tomorrow morning. You won't have to practice with these guys anymore. You can join us in our cross-country team. Ken, you're an idiot. I really didn't know much about cross-country except the fact that it would get me out of basketball practice or tryouts for a while. So I show up, and I realize that this man had just led me on a path towards destruction. Now, this, is a picture, this is a picture of our cross-country team. Uh, as you can see, there was a time in my life when I did have a lot of hair. That's me on the bottom right. And my friend Alan is the one standing next to that criminal whose name is Coach Layfield up there with the, wearing the tie. Alan doesn't look very happy either. At least I have a little bit of a smile. That was a great, that was a great, great plug on his part, a great strategy. However, I didn't realize what all was behind trying to run cross country. Just like some of you and me, 49 years ago, didn't realize all that there was to walking with God and running the race for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. Now, the big idea that Coach Layfield shared with me, he says, I'm going to let Bob run with you. Bob Crabtree, who is right here, was the county cross-country champion from the year before. And Coach Layfield just said to me, Ken, just watch what Bob does and try to just emulate him. It was a great idea on Coach Layfield's part, except, you know, I was really good at running for about 300 yards. I could run fast. As a matter of fact, the first meet we had it was in late August, and the gun went off, and I mean, I took off, and I was ahead of everyone for about the first 300 yards. And then I realized, oh, there's a lot more to this race than 300 yards. And pretty soon, everyone, and I mean everyone, passed me and they, I was like the guy, the overweight, heavyset basketball player, just trying to make my way to the finish line. Because I had no clue what it meant to run cross-country in terms of strategy, pacing yourself, and all of those things. And so I found out that the big idea that, that uh, Coach Layfield shared with me, just watch Bob, keep your eyes on Bob, was a great idea in one sense. But in other ways, what Bob had to do was to slow his pace during practice and talk with me so that I would understand what it meant to effectively run <laughs> and hopefully complete a cross-country race. For 11 chapters, the Hebrew writer has been saying, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Did you ever notice in chapter 11, I used to say this when I would preach this, we actually spent a long time when I was pastoring in Grand Rapids and maybe some of the North Parkers here today who are now part of Calvary's ministry will remember. We, we went through in every single character in chapter 11 and I did a, a study of their life from the Old Testament. And I said during the time of our studies, you know, if I were God and we all thank God that I'm not God, I probably would have included probably most of the people in this chapter because you look at their lives and they really messed up. You got to admit, I mean, these people, they had all kinds of 
baggage. I'm going through the Bible again, and early this morning I'm reading in Genesis, and it's the story of Jacob and Esau when they're reunited. I'm thinking, these two kids, they were messed up. I mean, they were constantly at each other and all these things. And yet, look at Faith's Hall of Fame in chapter 11, and they're there. Those kinds of people are there. It's just a reminder to me, Ken, it wasn't about them. They're there because when they trusted God and when they understood God's plan for them as they ran the race, say it with me, class, by faith, that's what made the difference. Not faith in their own abilities. It's not faith in their running technique. It wasn't faith so that I can somehow earn an N. It wasn't that at all. It was because they loved God, because He first loved them. And that was what made all the difference. So, the big idea in my cross-country career, as short as it was, only three months, was keep your eyes focused on Bob. The big idea here is we keep our eyes focused on Christ. That's going to be the big point as we get to chapter 12 and verse 3. We look to Jesus, we, we consider Him because of His example for us. But there's a lot of things that he talks about here that help us to truly understand the race. And before we go to lunch today, I just want to give you four quick points from this text that I hope will encourage you. I mentioned my mom. My mom was the first um, person in our family to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Uh, that was a result of God moving a family next door to us that summer, we had had another family live next door to us the entire time we had lived there, which at that point was nine years. God moved them out, brought another family in because they knew Jesus Christ. The family as a whole were believers in Jesus Christ. They were a part of the little Baptist church that was instrumental in influencing not just my family, but Sharon's family as well. They became for us as new believers, the people that are talked about here in chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the first thing that we need to remember is God gives us examples. That's the first word I want you to take home with you today as you run your race. Just remember, God has placed in our lives examples to help us understand this situation of life and of following Jesus Christ. He says... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, what's he talking about? Who is he talking about? I think, obviously, a lot of it is chapter 11, and then once he names by name. But frankly, at the end of chapter 11, he says, you know, I just don't even have time. A pen and, and parchment will not even allow me the opportunity to share all the people who have run the race before us. And then he even talks about some of their contemporaries. He doesn't mention them by name, but he says, even now there are people that are being martyred, uh, wrapped up in animal skins, people that are being persecuted and martyred for their faith. And so they had people right now, people that they had loved for years that through the oppression of Nero and other Caesars were, were now being persecuted and martyred because they wanted to run the race that Christ had laid out before them. There, there are examples we have that even today by those who are heroes of the faith because they're willing to stand against the tide of culture that says, uh, we can just do what we want. 
There, there, there are many paths and many ways to find happiness, even if it means destroying another human life, as we've been reminded of this morning. As long as you're happy, as long as it gets you out of a bind, then it's okay to run that way. We don't believe that because we believe the Word of God. And we've been reminded for 11 chapters in this letter, by faith we trust in God. Faith focuses upon God, and God, as we focus on Him, gives us examples and testimonies of people who are willing to stand firmly and run the race effectively for the honor and glory of God. So we're surrounded by all these witnesses. They're not people who have gotten into a stadium like uh, the big house, and they're just sitting there in the stands and cheering all the athletes that are on the field. No, the ones who are cheering us on are people who have already run their faith, uh, uh, their race of faith, or they're currently running with us, and we look to them, and we receive encouragement, and we find joy for the journey of the race that God has called us to. These faith runners help us to excel in our walk and in our pursuit of Christ, and we need to keep our eyes fixed on them. That's the focus here. We learn from faith runners. They were people who were effective in the way in which they were willing to run the race. They were effective in the way in which they are willing to take a stand. The Bible is not something that's just to be believed. It's something to be lived out in the way in which we trust God, these spectators giving us the example. They ran because they they were effective in running because they responded to God's Word, because God's Word is truth. And therefore, they did hide God's Word in their hearts so they wouldn't sin against Him. They did trust in the Lord with all of their heart. They didn't lean on their own understanding. They obeyed God regardless of the situations, and therefore their steps, every step, every path they took, even if it meant running through water, Ken, cross-country runner, even if it meant running through un, uncharted territory and woods that you've never been around before, even if it meant running through all kinds of inclement weather, they ran effectively because they were people who fixed their focus upon Christ. The steps of a good man are ordered by God, as Psalm 37 declares it. And he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Psalm 37, 23 and 24. Warren Wearsby spoke at our church one time in Grand Rapids, and he preached on that text. And he said something that right away I thought, well, I've got to write that down. It was a post-it note in my Bible, and I've got it uh, on one day of my calendar every week to be reminded of this, that God as he talks about this text where God directs or orders our steps, says God not only directs our steps, but he also directs our stops. Every part of the path, every season of life, every situation of life, God is with us, and he's given us all these examples, all these examples, so that we can run effectively. And so... We have all these examples around us. While we have these examples around us, we are reminded that as we're running, secondly, we are to examine ourselves. Examine is the second E word that we're looking at here. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight 
and the sin which clings so easily. There, there's something about as you're running, you realize, I probably need to change my diet. I probably need to change uh, some of my habits. Uh, instead of spending time just kind of casually, leisurely uh, relaxing and uh, eating junk food and drinking beverages that are junk beverages that have lots of sugar in them, I probably need to start focusing on what will help me run most effectively. Here he says, lay aside every weight and sin, which clings to you so easily or so closely. And so, I examine myself. I examine my life by taking a look within me for what is, what is really guarding and guiding my heart. I look, I look at my life, and I look at my walk, and I say, what are the things that are hindrances? What are the things that just really kind of weigh me down? I need to get rid of that. What entangles me? They may not necessarily be bad things. They might at times be necessary things, but are they essential for what God has called me to do on this particular day on the race course that he's called me to live and run by faith? I'll never forget, you know, we started out in cross country that year, and it was, I mean, this is southwest Ohio. It is hot. It's humid. I mean, you're watching corn grow three feet a day because the temperature is just great for them, but not for cross country runners. That's just not what is conducive to great running in that regard. We went from that situation at the end of August with the first meet to when we finally got to the county meet at, at, in early November. We showed up on an early Saturday morning. We were supposed to be there at 7 a.m., and when we stepped out of the car, it was like you were in Michigan. It was snowing, it was sleeting, it was raining, all in one, all in one fell swoop. And so we get, to the, we get to the line, and it's about five minutes before the race is to start, and I'm standing there in that outfit to the left. Why? Because it's raining and sleeting and snowing and the wind's blowing and it's, it's below freezing. And that's logically what you would do. And finally, Coach Layfield came up and said, Floyd, lose the sweat outfit. And I had to instead be like I'm dressed on the right when it was nice in the summertime. And uh, you don't see... Uh, but in the fall, in November, uh, my teeth are chattering. It's just terrible. And I'm thinking, why in the world, why would you do this? But the coach knew. Something that seemed essential and would be very nice would entangle my ability to run effectively. He may have also thought, well, if the kid's cold enough, he'll run faster and try to finish sooner. That might have been part of his strategy as well. I don't know. I never liked the man after that, so I never got a chance to really have a conversation with him again to say, hey, what, was your, what were your thought processes with me? He's probably thinking, I wish I had never said that to that boy back in August. How would you like to earn a letter for running cross country? Examine. God allows things to come into our lives so that we'll examine. There's an interesting text in Matthew chapter 14 where you remember Jesus uh, one time is going off to pray, and he has the disciples get into the boat out onto the sea while he goes up to the mountaintop to pray. And while he's up on the mountaintop praying, they're in the middle of the sea in the boat, and a storm brews, as it often does on the Sea of Galilee. And it's interesting, the text there is, as Matthew writes in Matthew 14, 22 to 33, he says they were being tossed by the waves because the wind was 
contrary. The word contrary is an interesting word there. It has the idea of um, pushing against everything that you know as being helpful, everything that you know as being what you would want or expect. Sometimes God puts us in those situations where the winds are contrary. I mean, Jesus did that with them because he was wanting them to learn how to not only run and, and walk by faith, but actually even to navigate waters by faith, trusting him. We're reminded that even the things that don't seem to make sense to us, we are put there because it helps us to be strengthened in our faith. And so he says, don't just look at the examples around you. Examine your heart for the motivations and the intentions of your heart internally as you run the race. So since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so easily, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There's a lot of things you can do to prep for the race, and a lot of us try to do that no matter what kind of activity it may be. But there's a point in time where you actually just have to step your toe at the starting line, and when the gun goes off, you just start running the race. Regardless of where you're at in your life, regardless of what the situation or circumstance may be any particular day, in the race that you're running for the glory of God, you just have to engage in the race. That's the third E word. Okay, we examine, or we, we look at the examples, we examine, and we actually become engaged ourselves. We just don't look at the walk or race by faith as a spectator sport. We actually get engaged in the race. I look out here today at a group of people, and you're a rather diverse group of people. You're what um, is described in Scripture as believers being peculiar people. That's what I see. And that's what you see as you look back up here. We're unique. Not all of us are the same. Praise God for that. God has designed us for diversity, but also for unity in the body of Christ. But we recognize that not all of us are gifted and designed to carry on the same tasks. But all of us are called to engage. All of us are called to be involved in the race. So he says here, run with endurance the race that is set before us. We are to, each one of us, appreciate the fact that Christ has set us into a lane, into a situation where we will be able to effectively excel in what God has called us to do. One of the things I would say that I learned from my time in cross country is the fact that I needed to stay in my lane. That's more of a track terminology, but more so I stay with the pack of people that are most effective in where I am in my part of the race. So I found out later on that although it would be nice to follow Bob Crabtree in practice because he was the county champion and he did end up winning that particular meet that year and was a two-time county champion, it was good for me to find a pack that I could run with that had the same gait or pace and we could kind of run alongside of each other and encourage one another when we finished the race the day after the race had actually finished. Not that bad, but it seemed that way sometimes. So I, 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 I pace myself with those around me that will help me to become stronger. I don't allow myself 
to be distracted by what's around. I instead keep focused on the course that's set out for me. I don't allow myself to become disoriented, which was what happened the first meet. We were, uh, it was not a home meet. It was at one of our rival schools in the county. Uh, infamous when you went there for football games, if they had a, phone, uh, a home football game there, uh, because it was out in the middle of all these uh, farm fields. Uh, the farmers were notorious because it was in the fall of spreading their manure the day before our football team would come to play. The kids out there, they were used to the smell. Well, someone had the bright idea that the day of the game, in the morning, there would be a three-school meet to run on their course. Guess what one of the high schools was? Our high school. First meet in, our, in my career as a cross-country runner. And so it's bad enough that I think I can just sprint ahead first 300 yards and everyone else is behind me and then they all pass me. But now my lungs are burning. I'm just, if, if there was something left in my body, I would have wrenched it out because the smell was horrible. And I'm, I'm running, and they run us through this woods that I'd never been in before, and I didn't realize as I'm running, I'm just, I'm just praying, God, I just want to, and I wasn't even a believer yet. This was, that would be five months later. God, I just want to live. I just want to live through this. I didn't realize they had little tape flags that would tell you, go straight, go right, or left. I'm, just, I'm keeping my head down, saying I'm dying. I just want to get through this. After a while, I realized there's no one else running with me. I realized I'd run right past the directional tapes on the, on the trees or whatever sticks they had out there, and I had to find my way back. And it, literally, I was the last one to finish that race because I was allowing things to distract me. God says, engage yourself. With endurance, run the race that is set before you. Don't think you have to be like the star athlete spiritually. Just keep focused and engaged on the things that God would want you to do. Why? Well, here's the whole reason for the race. He says, verse 2, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We have all these examples. We are to examine our hearts and lives to see if there's any baggage or things that might not necessarily be sinful but are holding us back. We engage in the race that God has called us to run. But most importantly, we embrace our Lord and Savior. Look to Him. He set the ultimate example. He endured things on my behalf and yours that none of us will ever have to endure because he did it for us. He, it says in verse 3, endured the cross, he despised the shame, and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When Jesus said from the cross, it is finished, he proved it once and for all eternity because he ascended back into heaven because of the power of the resurrection. And he sat down next to the Father demonstrating that all that was necessary for my salvation and yours was completed by him at Calvary. And therefore, Ken, 
You can run your race with joy just like Jesus did. Ken, you can run your race effectively just like Jesus did because you don't have to take care of the things that Christ has already taken care of for you and on your behalf. And so, just like Christ, look to Him and with joy run your race in a way that brings Him honor and glory because our focus when it's on Christ makes all the difference. Just as we're reminded in Philippians 3, we are told that we are to know Him, the power of His resurrection, the fellowship with His sufferings, being conformed to His death in order that we too might attain the resurrection of the dead. Examples. There are, there are millions of them that encourage us. Examine. Maybe what God has brought you here today to do is just to think through that principle of examination. Examine yourself. Don't sit on the sidelines. Get engaged in the race of faith. God has equipped each one of us in unique and special ways to run the race. Stay in your lane. Don't worry about someone else. Just use them as an example or a motivator, but understand that God has a race set out for you. Embrace Christ. He's the author. He's the perfecter of our faith, as we're reminded here in this text. He's the one who pays the way for us. So, here's my running points from my short-lived cross-country career that I think has some spiritual dynamics for us today as we finish. First of all, if you're going to run the race, you better take time to understand the rules and the strategy for the race. I started out all wrong. I needed to start by having the big idea, the big picture in mind. You may say, wow, these are great principles, and I'm going to do all that I can to follow Jesus Christ. But you know what? If you've not read the manual, which says you start at the starting line by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're not going to run the race at all effectively. Frankly, you're not even going to be considered by God to be in the race. So the first thing you need to do is, by faith, place your trust in Jesus Christ, his redemptive work, which, is remind, which we're reminded of here in this text, on your behalf, and embrace him as your Savior. Secondly, this is something I really didn't understand, especially in the first meet that I was involved in. The race is not a sprint. It's a marathon. Remember that. Remember that you can pace yourself according to how God's word directs you. And so you can run the race effectively. Don't feel like you have to be the winner the first time out of the blocks. Just rec recognize that your main goal is to please Christ. And you'll be blessed as he blesses you because of your, of your love for him. Thirdly, keep your eyes focused on the finish line. Don't look around for all the other things. Don't let the elements, don't let the terrain, don't let the smells... Don't let whatever might distract you from keeping focused on the finish line because that's where Jesus is. Fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and completer of your faith. Fourth, you better have a good motive for running, and that's him. Make sure that it's not about impressing others or trying to help fool someone <laughs> that you're what you're not. Your motivation is Christ. 
You better have a good motive, and we do. His name is Jesus Christ. Consider him, the writer of the Hebrew Christian says. Consider him. Look to him. Realize what he's accomplished for you. Recognize his involvement with you in your everyday life. Every journey of faith involves challenges for the people running the race. Every journey of faith will involve times when we can't clearly see the path before us or understand where it is leading. But every moment of the race, if we keep our eyes focused upon Christ, the race will go smoothly, even if everything else is unclear, because he has run the race to perfection and will guide us through every stage of our race until we cross the finish line to hear him say, well done, you good and faithful runner. Here, send it to that oak tree while other people lumber their way as well.